Have you ever wondered why it is that we do what we do and who we do it with? Then this is a podcast for you, an exploration of human beings through systemic psychology and Unani biotypes with Rodrigo Garcia Platas, Ross Everett, and Brian McElhaney. This is Biotypical. So Brian's got something excited going on. You want to tell everybody what's what's happening? Oh, it's just I'm teaching a class on sketch comedy, which I've always wanted to do, but never, um, I don't know, had the balls to do it. I was always like, yeah, I could do this, but am I a teacher really? And what do I have to say? I mean, I do have something to say, but I don't have the temperament to do this. And who would even take the class? I sort of had that kind of in my head forever. And then uh, last week I texted Ross and I was like, hey, how can I make a quick buck? I just want some money right now. <laughs> And Ross was like, you could teach a class. And I was like, nah, I can't do it. Who would even come to it? And I can't be a teacher and blah, blah, blah. And so then I posted on Instagram like, hey, would anyone like take this class if I took it? And I had like a gajillion responses say yes. Nice. And so I just, I I did it. And then it like sold out in like less than an hour. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> could I do this? So it starts next week and I'm really um, excited and kind of nervous. But it like, sold out in less than an hour. Less yeah. than an hour. And, wow. and some context is Brian, before Biotypical, you may have known him from like all-star comedy group Britannic that has millions upon millions upon millions of views online and has influenced like every every comedic celebrity that you know has seen a Britannic video and like loves it. Joss Whedon has made posts about how Britannic videos were the things that were getting him through the pre-production phases of, uh, was it pre-production or post-production on Avengers? Pre. Pre-production on Avengers. So it's like all of this like self-doubt is so unwarranted. It's also but- like I'm an Emmy Award, not Emmy nominated writer for SNL. Like I forget that sometimes. Like that's enough to like have credentials to do that this. That would be I would my say. middle name. I would <laughs> say my name is Brian and I'm an Emmy nominated as like writer. <laughs> right, right. But I do think that like I was I I'm really battling certain core beliefs to do this. Like it does feel like this is in and I I was trying to figure out exactly what it was that I was like it was specifically grinding up against, but it does feel like something that I have, I've never let myself exist in this type of space before as like a person of authority, um, as a person who um, can teach, who has to be the center of attention in this type of way, um, who has, you know, who's asking for money for people, who's asking for this particular type of attention. I've wanted to do that, but I've never just, um, had anything in life where I, I did. So this is my first time kind of venturing into this new space psychologically. I actually really love that you're doing this. Uh, and this is how organic growth is is seen in human beings. Like this is something that if we, if we've had, if we had pushed you into doing something like this a year ago, you would have hated us and you would have never done it. And now like you came up with it, your intuition is taking you there. You're dealing with the walls that your beliefs create around it. I think it's brilliant that we're extremely proud of you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I feel like a year ago, there's no way I would have done this. It really does yeah. feel like this is something that like, I'm like, oh, wow, why do I have the cojones to do this right now? It's like, oh, I think it's through all the shit I've done with BYB <laughs> and talking to you guys. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's going on with me. Do you have any worries about like, 
you know, being on the Zoom and like, oh, I'm in charge. All these people are listening to me. Well, I do now. You brought it up. Um, yeah, well, no, I was okay. thinking Sorry. the same thing. I was going to say, I've never thought of that. And um, I do it every day. Now I'm going to start thinking about it. I just figured as a melancholic, you'd already thought of that. Yeah, I have. I mean, that's I've thought about it for 34 years. And that's why I don't think I ever did it. Um, but yeah, I definitely have that. I mean, I, you know, it's teaching comedy. So I have the fear of someone being like, I have this idea for a sketch. And I'm like, whoa, I, um, okay, well, where could that, I, oh, I don't know, is it, and then I pitch an idea and nobody laughs. You have a fear of them being bad or of you being bad? Of me being bad, me being like, I don't know what to do with your idea, I'm so sorry, and then I pitch an idea and everyone's like, that's terrible, it's so not funny, you're teaching this class on comedy, and I go, I'm sorry, then they all log off the Zoom. It's like those types of fears where I'm like, okay. No, Brian, first of all, that's not how it would go. What would happen is you would say something, they wouldn't laugh, and then it would just turn up into like a close-up magic show. And yeah, then I'd be like, how to go? And you'd be like, I removed my thumb for 15 minutes to get things back on track. And also, we should introduce our guest today. Yeah, yeah. Let's move yes, over please. to, to Reed. Brian, Brian, you do it. You, okay. This is, yeah. Yeah, I think I know this special. person a little better than you guys do. Reed Edgar is our guest. And Reed is literally my oldest friend, as our moms have reminded us since our birth. Uh, I think we were like due on the same day. But Reed came two weeks late and I came two weeks early. So we were born exactly a month apart. Um, and uh, I just, I, I grew up with Reed in Atlanta. We uh, hung out and played video games all the time, played sports together, went to the beach together. Um, he has maintained living in Atlanta as I've sort of like lived all around the country. And uh, sort of in this past year, kind of through Rodrigo, Reed and I have like reconnected in a big way, I feel like, because um, I first show, showed Reed Rodrigo back in during sometime during COVID, and then it was during uh, Christmas. I was at that, your house. That's right. And then um, we both started. To, we did BYB together, and have sort of just taken classes. And Reed's been on these uh, these calls, and um, it's been really cool to just sort of like I think Reed and I watching each other go through this because nobody knows the oldest versions of ourselves like Reed and I do. So kind of like watching each other kind of like expand and grow through all this stuff has been really interesting. And Reed um, had one of the best um, final acts of our uh, balancing your biotype class that I've ever seen. I mean, I've only seen one class's worth of it, but I think one of the best Rodrigo's ever seen too. <laughs> Um, and I think it's we're, true. We're going to talk about that today, right? The psychomagic act of, yeah. So let, let me get into why Reed is our guest today. Um, and Reed, I'm going to have you go into your biotype journey, uh, just from your perspective, but sure. There's something really cool here because having, uh, an, a, a long-term relationship with Brian, he's going to be able to provide some external perspective in comparison to your internal perspective. As we go through today, we're going to discuss psychomagic and we're actually going to talk about the impact that it had on you, Reed, the impact that Brian has seen it have on you, um, as well as we're going to go through the entire context and, and kind of origins of psychomagic and how it's been incorporated into what we do, uh, at RGP development, as well as how it's incorporated just generally across the spectrum in different societies. Because when you first hear about this listener, dear listener, you're going to be like, this is weird. 
This is a cult. This is what you like. I, like I'm, I'm. I mean, it had, the name is Psychomatic. Yeah, it yeah, sounds the, like it's. Yeah, it's there. Someone's trying to sell you something that is. And the guy who created it last. The last name is Hodorovsky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. It all feels very. And the guy that created it like looks. You know, like he <laughs> he he dresses weird, like a character from Harry Potter. <laughs> so it's one of those things that that you know when you hear about it, there's definitely a lot of walls that go up, and you're like, whoa, 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 this is so weird. But I I think it's really cool uh, Brian's perspective on this, as well as the people that that go through BYB. I mean, like I guess cat's out of the bag now, but there is a psychomagic component uh, at the end of it. Um, so that being said, Reed, welcome, and why don't you, you. kind of tell us from, from your perspective, A, what got you into biotypes, what your biotype is, because that also leads up to one of my favorite uh, tropes of Brian, and kind of where you're at today. Oh, and also t- your company. Sure. So first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, my biotype is um, a cleric and... Um, Initially, I thought I was um, a supporter, but I think I'm somewhere between supporter and analyzer. Um, but I probably identify more as a supporter, which, um, um, yeah, is a very weird combination. But uh, I've come to love it. Um, I think you were the first secret choleric in Brian's uh, awareness. Because the, the my favorite Brian trope is that he's surrounded by secret cholerics. He thinks everyone's melancholic, and then he slowly <laughs> realizes that they're choleric. There's a lot of cholerics around me. And in yeah. Fact, yeah. Been. They're everywhere. Brian yeah. is a choleric magnet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And when you were doing your intro to biotypes, and we were reading your biotype, I think, were, Brian, were you in that same intro? Uh, no. No, you texted me saying you should text Reed about his biotype. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? As if there was like some huge news that would shake my world. <laughs> and Reed, did you think that you were choleric once you started learning about this stuff? Or did you think that you were melancholic? I, I was convinced I was melancholic. Um, when, Brian, when I was at Brian's house and he first told me about it, um, he showed me um, one of uh, Rodrigo's lives. Um, and the one he showed me was um, a couple, a phlegmatic woman and a melancholic guy. And um, I, I figured he did that because he thought I was a melancholic. And I, I think you I said did. afterward, Brian, you thought I was. I was and bad at reading it first. <laughs> I was like, skinnies or melancholics across the board. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought, um, man, this just feels so right. And I think that was one of the things that, that you know, really brought me into this world is I, when I saw that, I thought, man, this just, I just feel this so strong. This, I really identify with everything that Rodrigo is saying to these people. Um, and my girlfriend is also fanatic. So I, I thought, um, like these things you're saying to them about things to look out for just hit so close to home. And, um, um, also I think Brian, Brian has this, like, whatever Brian is into, I'm kind of also into like, whether it's this or like, you know, musicals or entertainment, like if Brian, Brian gives it his seal of approval, then I'm probably gonna like it too. So um, maybe that was also part of it. But um, also Brian can sell like sand on the beach. Like when, when Brian's yes. excited about something, oh, yeah. it oh, sounds yes. like the best thing in the universe. It's true. Yes. If I, yeah, 
if I'm into, if I have an interest in something, whether it's a piece of art or I guess Rodrigo, then you will listen. <laughs> uh, yeah. Imagine if I were a Galeric, what would be love? <laughs> mm, wow. But I, I think, um, um, yeah, you, when you're excited about something, you, you're not afraid to tell everybody about it. Yes. Um, but, um, uh, anyway, so yeah, I, I went, I thought I was melancholic. I felt like I was melancholic. And two weeks later, I took the intro and Rodrigo said, yeah, you're a confused choleric who doesn't understand his power. And I was just like, my world was like, I just, cause I, my impression of a choleric was like, oh, this is like, these are the angry people that just like are just perpetually mad at the world, mad at everyone else, just completely just, I don't know, just always angry and using other people to fuel their anger. And I felt like, I don't, I don't really feel like that at all. Like, um, but I think deep down, I kind of knew, like, I, I never questioned what you said. Uh, I just knew like, eh, this is probably right, but there's probably more to this. And turns out there was <laughs> uh, a lot more to it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was the beginning of the journey. And, um, and then I took, um, uh, I did a, a one-on-one session with Rodrigo the day of that BYB started, like six hours before, and I hadn't even decided to do BYB yet. I remember that. And BYB, for context, that's the balancing your biotype curriculum. It's a, a six-week course of balancing your personality and biotype. I think um, I didn't, I think I was very confused after the intro when I found out I was a choleric. So I thought, man, I, I don't, I want to take this UIB class, but I don't under, really understand where I'm going, which is why I did the one-on-one and Rodrigo explained everything. And then I understood, okay, this is exactly where I'm going. And that led to the class. Um, should I, you want me to give the whole, the, you know, my impressions Talk of the about class? about your journey and, a little bit. Because okay. I feel you like, like you have one of those interesting journeys from all the people that has gone through the program. Okay. Um, and Brian, if you want to pipe in with context about like Reed growing up with the, the websites and like the, the, the telltale signs that like, well, yeah, you know, I was, I was going to say like, if I, if I, cause when Reed told me he was cleric, I was like, really? And then I look back on it and it's like, Reed was always like, I remember like when we, when it was 1999 and it was New <laughs> Year's, we had like a New Year's party at my house. Reed and I were 13 oh, yeah. years old and Reed at that time, owned and operated the second largest Pokemon website on the entire internet behind Pokemon.com. And he, we were in middle school. And Reed had to leave my party because he was worried about the Y2K bug shutting down his website. And I was like, it's New Year's and we're 13. We'll get, stop worrying about your business. And he was like, I have to go. And then he left. Um, <laughs> and I was like, and I'm like, okay, that's a pretty like a 13-year-old a, a CEO who leaves a party to make sure his business is working. That's a pretty choleric thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. And then like some, like a decade ago or some, I don't know how long ago you started your your company, TrueNet Read, but like I remember you started a company and you're like, yeah, I'm starting this company. I'm powdered peanut butter. I'm, you know, uh, jarring them all from my kitchen and I've created, like, you, like you, you explained how you were doing it and it was like you created an entire assembly line and factory by yourself in your house 
and were already getting it on the shelves of like stores. And I was like, what? How do you do that? What are you talking? I, I didn't even know one could do this. Like the way in which you were like, <laughs> when you want to start a business or have an idea, you just make it happen. That's which is exactly that, like, where you are right now, Brian. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I'm starting to yep. enter that journey. That, yes. But like literally, like like I think you knew that when you were launching your your sketch comedy thing, you're like, oh, this is the real thing that brings me more into that formal dominant that I've been avoiding so much. Completely, yeah. And I was, yeah. it was weird. Once I did it and then people Venmoed me money, I was like, I can just create something with by myself that is business oriented and just do it. Like that's and something that thirteen year old Reed is like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's I don't know if it's a choleric thing or not, but there's there's never any thought in my mind like, oh, I can't do this, or like I don't ever think about I mean I think about the risks, sure, but there's never a thought of like, well, why couldn't I do this? Or um nothing is really standing in the way. And if I want to do this, I'm just gonna do it. Um so Maybe that's cleric. It's a cleric thing. Like the only thing that actually stops clerics is when they're afraid of their power or they don't believe in themselves. But external things are are even like exciting for clerics. Like things that would stop any other biotype because they go like, look at this wall. It's impossible to climb. There's no way. That actually excites clerics. Like, oh, this is gonna be fun. I need. I get to figure out this, and then I do oh, that. Yeah. It's just another thing to check on the checklist of how to create the final result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And I never had any doubt or like lacking self-confidence when it comes to business but on more on the personal side was where i was severely lacking but on the business side i I never i don't know i've never doubted myself or never doubted like that i could do something so that's there's never been a thought of like oh should i do this or is this a bad idea i mean i've had bad ideas obviously but and this is where you say thank you dad yeah my yeah my dad my dad i mean he had businesses too he was he's also a cleric um, and, uh, yeah, yeah I, I picked up a lot of that from him, I'm sure. <laughs> Watching Brian put another choleric into the piece of his puzzle is, is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, in my mind, it's just like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Like at the end of it, everything else starts to make sense. I'm just watching Brian go, okay, well, yeah, that moment now makes sense. Okay. That guy's a cleric. So that's why he did that. It's really mm-hmm. fun. <laughs> I, I just remember like visiting Reed. Uh, Reed worked in with your dad's companies for a while, um, and I remember like watching you guys like in the like the when he sold those like fabrics, like watching you guys like talk about like everything from like production of it to shipping, and me listening, being like, "What the hell are they talking about?" <laughs> like, yeah, how do you, how it's do just you, natural. Okay, yeah, I just didn't get it in any way. So yeah, I, I started the class, and I I. Um, I don't know. It was just an immediate, like, I feel like I, I bought in completely and I, I really, you know, committed very hard to this. And, um, every week there was six weeks and, um, every week I felt like was a challenge, but also, um, making me see things about myself and the people around me and the way that I was being and, um, things that I had seen and looked at as like an imposition on myself, like someone else is doing this to me, seeing that, oh, I've actually been doing this to myself, um, was just a whole other way of looking at things that I had never looked at that was, I mean, life-changing. 
it was it was amazing to be able to just give myself the I don't know the space to see things from a different perspective and I think having that space was allowed me to uh, let go of a lot of things and um, forgive myself and others for things that I had been holding against them for so long. Yeah, it was um, particularly with, you know, my parents, um, my, um, I mean, we, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my, my dad. Um, I think um, I was looking at him. Um, he, he's a cleric too. Um, and I, I think I was always a very emotional cleric and um, I was like looking for, for that from him and I never got it. Um, mm-hmm. um, actually, I, I think just for context, to my, I'll give an example, the one I gave to you, Rodrigo, in our first session. Uh, when I was five or six years old, we used to go to, um, me and my dad would go to all the Atlanta Hawks basketball games. And I would um, sit next to him and I would want to, you know, yell and cheer and all this, but I would look next, next to me at my dad just sitting there very stoically and very quietly. And I remember thinking, well, why isn't he doing this? Or why is he just sitting there so quietly? And, um, and I remember thinking to myself, um, and I guess Rodrigo helped me contextualize this and put more into it. But like, um, I was, I didn't cheer and yell and be emotive because my dad was not being like that. And I wanted to, not only did I want to be like him, but that made me think that I wasn't what he was expecting. Um, and man, that was, that put the damper on me. Like you would not believe throughout my life. And, um, and I'm sure there were plenty of other examples too, but that's the one that I always remember and I always think of. And that's such um, a good example. I feel like so many people can relate to that. Yeah. I was just thinking about, I wonder how much for men watching how little or a lot of emotion their dad specifically gives translates to how much they think as a guy they're supposed to give or not. Yeah. Um, I can imagine the link is pretty strong. They become our benchmark. They become our first like extremely important reference of what it, what it means to be a man. And we want their approval. Uh, Like I remember seeing other men, like uh, the parents of my friends, like saying swear words a lot. And then looking at my dad who would never swear at all. And then, like switching the way I, I would speak in order to sound as formal as my dad. And people would tell me like, you sound like a grown up just because of the way I was speaking. And I felt extremely proud because that meant I was closer to what I thought a real man was, which was my dad. Right. Mm-hmm. I've wondered too, like, is our cholerics like, like this? Are, are they, do we all have an emotional depth down there? And it's just kind of been like, not necessarily beaten out of us, but just like, tamped down and i think there's also a lot of confusion as part of being a cleric when it comes to emotions like not being able to understand other people's emotions and so we just take all this to like screw this you know i'm just gonna avoid this and i wonder if being around someone whether it's a cleric or whatever type of parent if they know to really foster that in a cleric child would they be able to overcome that i've, I've always wondered that 
I actually, I actually have a theory about that that I've never discussed with anyone. So let's dive into it a little bit. Cool. Um, there's a part of me that, in, in the same way that I like, I've paid a lot of attention to the access between sanguines and melancholics. So, so the like being so external as a sanguine and so internal as a melancholic, it's still about the same thing. The reference is still other people. Uh, the reference is still action, being understood, being liked. Uh, when it comes to phlegmatics and clerics, I've had this theory for a long time in my head. I, I don't have a lot of evidence of it, except for a few clerics like you. And I'm starting to believe that clerics are actually as emotional as phlegmatics, but because they're so detailed and result-oriented, then what happens is they start feeling like people are getting in the way and and they get offended just like phlegmatics, but they don't stay offended. They react with their power and their strength, but then living in a world where you feel like people are getting in the way constantly of what you want to create makes you actually have an emotional response to them, which is kind of shutting them out. So what I'm trying to say is I think that cholerics are the way they are because they are emotional and they feel like they really want to get things done and people don't understand them, do not have the commitment of the passion or the passion that they have and they seem to get it, be getting in the way and their anger is like out of resentment of why isn't the world getting it? Why, like, why don't they care about what I'm creating, what I'm building in the world? Why isn't everyone running in the same direction just like me? Like this really matters. And, and I think it's actually from a, like a little broken choleric heart saying like, no one's ever going to get it. I'll do it myself. Yeah, I can really, that, that definitely makes, makes sense. And I, I feel the part about people not understanding, why don't they just do it this way? I can't tell you how many times yeah. I say that every day. Like, why isn't, why aren't you just doing it like this? <laughs> and, um, um, and yeah, I, I, God, that would be so amazing if there was a way, because I, I feel like, I don't know, I think in a way, clerics are kind of misunderstood. Um, and obviously, you know, clerics are, can have very bad anger and behavior and all that. But I, I just wonder if there's like, I don't know, if there was some way to get them before they kind of lost that hope or lost that feeling. Well, that's exactly why we have the workshop, like the one we did last night, the Biotypes and Family. And we literally spoke about that. Like if you have a choleric son, how to, how to make them fall in love with their biotype, but also support them into starting their balancing through their personality when they're kids and, and teaching parents how to make them fall in love with their power, their strength, who they are, their leadership role, but always making important emotional uh, worldly things uh the the end goal like make your kid use his power and uh, and being a captain but to actually make a difference in the team to actually um i don't know make a competition about feeding the poor make a competition about uh giving away sweaters because winter is coming and and there's a lot of people that are homeless and then when you start doing things like that cholerics actually do become amazing human beings because they use their strength and their power in the right way because they they the end goal is making a difference for other people that can't see when they what they already saw. So as, as I told them last night, uh, many of our workshops feel like shooting ourselves on the foot, but it's teaching people so that their children never have come to workshops like ours. Yeah. So back to Reed's biotype journey, because I do want to touch on psychomagic. We're 30 minutes in. We haven't, <laughs> <laughs> we haven't gotten there yet. But Reed, is there anything? Before, that, yeah. be, be, before we, do, we do that, sorry. Have you noticed that we 
for the first time, have a man from every biotype in the show right now. Hey, that's cool. Whoa, yeah. Am I the first choleric? Yeah. Wow. Like, wow. We, we literally have a choleric, a phlomatic, a sanguine, and a melancholic. And guess what? The only one driving a Tesla is a choleric, so they're doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Priority, sorry. I remember when Reed showed up to our house on Christmas a couple years ago with that Tesla, and I was like, how did he do this? He... <laughs> it, it has a lot of meaning to me beyond just like, it's, uh, yeah. I think it, it says it's a lot about what I want the world to see in me as well as just having a cool car. Yeah. Well, that's honest. Um, you really have a cool car. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think that brand speaks to people like me very in particularly. Um, but um, anyway. Back well, to the CEO the... is like you. Yeah, is exactly. That, he's, my, that... he's my idol. I want to be like him. <laughs> um, back, back to the, the biotype journey. Yes. All I remember us... is you can make uh, the car fart. You know what <laughs> that's yeah, like yeah. all I remember from that night. Yeah, I'm exactly. like, I'm going to try and keep this on track. And Brian immediately interrupts me with something that's about a Tesla. You can make a Brian, fart in I'm every a sanguine. seat. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm a sanguine. Of course I know it farts <laughs> from every seat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Sorry, teacher Ross. I'm, I, I'm just saying, like, you know what it is? I'll just step into my fire for the audience so that they can get what they came for. But, Reed, <laughs> is there anything else that you want to say about your biotype journey before we start discussing psychomagic? Um, yeah, I just want to, um, I guess, because I was a supporter um, and I was not necessarily ignoring my choleric power because you know, I had all these businesses and I was, you know, I was doing well, but um, personally, it was so affecting and I was so, it was just holding me back and making so the anxiety and nerves that I felt around, um, uh, progressing through things in my life was just, um, I mean, crushing. Um, and I just didn't know, I, mean, I didn't know what to do. Um, and, but I never thought about any of that in this context that it was talked about in BYB. Um, or just biotypes in general. And so uh, that was that was particularly impactful for me. Um, so that's, that's the only other thing I want to say. Great. So the way that BYB works is that we've got essentially four weeks of curriculum, right? Uh, taking people through different exercises, realizations, conversations to help them identify their underlying beliefs that created their personality. And then we introduce something called psychomagic. Now, the psychomagic came about because I said to Rodrigo, all right, we're creating the RGP development like flagship curriculum, like the, the big thing. What is something that is like you've always wanted to do? Like if you could build your dream program, what would it look like? And Rodrigo went, oh, I know. <laughs> and that's when he first told me about psychomagic. I remember where I was sitting when we were having that conversation. Yeah, it was, it was like, it was a moment. He went, ooh, like I can, I can do this here. You know, it's, it's our company. We can, we can do what we want. Um, and psychomagic, again, I heard it and I went, uh-oh. 
<laughs> I went. <laughs> I went. Oh no! Um, you did say anything I wanted. <laughs> yeah, uh, but then upon explaining it, I, I, you know, I I eased up a bit, and then also the, the when I finally was like, oh, this is really okay, was when I heard Brian on Megan Batoon's podcast describing it. Um, so, who who wants to go first between Brian and Rodrigo in terms of describing what exactly psychomagic is? I want Brian to go first because the way he explained it in that episode was mind-blowing. Yeah, it was A+. plus. So Brian okay, lights I up. I kind of forget what I said, but okay. So Psychomagic <laughs> is this uh, – it's created by this guy. And I, someone corrected me on Twitter. I, keep, I think I, you kept calling him Argentinian and he's Chilean. Is that right or is he he's, – he's from, he's from Chile. Okay, great. He's a Chilean um, artist, um, psychologist. His name is Alejandro Jodorowsky and he invented this thing called Psychomagic. In like the 60s, I guess. And the kind of the concept of psychomagic is um, finding your core belief or trauma or thing that has been holding you back and manifesting it literally in front of you as either an artistic piece or a ceremonial piece uh, in order to essentially destroy it or say goodbye to it and it can be done in a variety of ways and what i think i find so fascinating about it is we all in uh therapy as everyone who knows who's gone to a psychologist before it's really it's not easy but the first step's always like noticing what you have you know in terms of your patterns or your core beliefs that's the first step Actually moving past it is really difficult and then people can be stuck in it for years just seeing that they have this thing going on with them. But it's like, how do I actually move through it? And this seems to be uh, a way where it's like I, the idea of creating something kind of artistically or ceremoniously that represents something that's so deep in the back of your brain. It seems to be this way to bridge the two worlds because you're doing it in your like you know, your actual external world with your frontal cortex, like you're actually doing it in a way that's conscious to um, fix something subconscious. And like the, it's, I think it's just like doing it in that kind of artistic way really brings all parts of your brain together to actually kind of move through it in a way that you can't do when you just try to talk through it or think through it. Um, so, uh, Basically, through BYB, we all got to do our own psychomagic acts once we uh, discovered uh, what our own personal core beliefs were and what we wanted to get through. To our own comfort levels, we got to sort of create our own version of what uh, our psychomagic act would be. And if you watch the documentary that Alejandro Hodorowsky has on psychomagic, some of the ways in which you can get through shit, I mean, (laughs) some are like insane. Summer, like, if you really want to go there, you can go there. Like, NC-17 stuff. Like, it is wild. But you can also do, you know, smaller things. And by smaller things, I mean, you know, I, I pissed on stuff. So it's still, like, it wasn't, like, G-rated <laughs> the way we did it. But we all had different versions of, um, of you know, going through our own versions of uh, how we wanted to bring our subconscious into the literal world of ceremony and art and um, I, I remember when we were talking about it during class, I remember the final class, I had a point that I wanted to make, which I thought was interesting, which was, you know, when you hear about psychomagic, you're like, what is it? You take like your trauma and turn it into art and destroy it. And that sounds a little voodoo. 
But then I was like, wait a minute. No, we do this all the time. We do psychomagic yes. in our life constantly. We just call it a funeral or a wedding or a graduation or a parade. All of those things are physical acts. It's like you graduated from high school. Okay, I guess I'm done. Okay, you're going to put on this cap and gown and walk across the stage in front of your peers and they're going to hand you this thing. And then once that happens, your brain is like, I'm done with high school in a way that didn't happen. Or it's like so-and-so died. Okay, they died. I think I get it up here. You watch their body being returned to the earth and then dirt being put on top of it. Then your head can be like, got it, they died. It's like these things can like help us move through not just our own personal stuff, but actual like moments in our lives. You can like, I, I feel like I started, once I did this class, I kind of started wanting to do psychomagic acts with things I haven't moved past in my life in order to say goodbye to them. Because it's like, there are, I think, ex-girlfriends where yeah, I don't yeah. even know how to present it to them, but I kind of want to like go to them and be like, I think we should do a psychomagic act together to like say goodbye to our relationship. I've not presented this idea. I'm not quite sure how to do it. You don't need them involved. That's true. Maybe maybe I shouldn't even try to approach that. Anyway, that's sort of my general gist of it. But yes, please add to that, Rodrigo. That's actually a really good explanation. So the first thing that 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 I want to point out that you just explained that I I love and I'm borrowing this from you now every time I'm explaining psychomagic is Life is filled with psychomagic acts. That's a hundred percent true, and we we call them rites of passage. We 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 call them ceremonies. We we call them weddings, funerals, as as you were explaining. Like so many things that seem to be life changing, but they're not. They only are because because we believe in them. And for example, Christmas. Does it mean anything? No. Does anything change? No. Um, is the world in a specific place in space and then that's why we're celebrating it? No, but because it has such a symbolism and meaning for millions of people around the world in different ways, even if, if, even if you're there for the presence or you're there because of religion or you're there because of family, like something important is happening. And when there's a lot of people that agree on something, that's actually called a universal certainty. It's something that Ken Wilber would call a universal certainty, something that means the same no matter where you are, no matter where you grow, uh, because that event means that something happened. It's like certain ages, for example, like turning 15 or turning 16. That's usually a milestone in, in, in many cultures. And then what Khodorovsky wanted to do is... Uh, how do I take this, these symbols that, that have profound meaning no matter where you're from and use them in a way that your subconscious can liberate certain things and, and a, a, like a personal rite of passage that no one could deny? And this is based on, on two principles. The first is, yes, every time, like, every time a, a group of human beings have meaning about something, that something is special. And it doesn't need to be real. Uh, it just needs to be believed in by a group of people. Then people like Ken Wilber took a while looking for it, the, the certainties that mean the same thing, like what honey means, what peeing on something means, uh, what having a, a god or a goddess means in your culture, uh, what having a kid means 
means, uh, what burning something means, uh, what sex means. And, and then once you understand the meaning of all these things, then you can start building things for your subconscious. And this is where I think Kolorovsky had the, the brilliant breakthrough. You can think that he's a genius or a crazy human being. I've seen him be able to create things with patients and people that ask for his support that that couldn't be done in any other type of therapeutical process. But um, what's really interesting about it is Khodorovsky believes that our subconscious mind is paying attention to our lives all of the time. And it, our subconscious mind cannot distinguish between what we're recreating in our head, what we're acting, pretending, and what's true. This is why people even say things like, fake it till you make it. They're like That phrase only really applies because even if you're faking something, your subconscious is getting used to that possibility, that way of talking to people, that, that way of walking around, that way of conceiving yourself. Until at a certain point, uh, if you hit the nail in the, in the right place through certain things that you're doing in your life, suddenly your subconscious actually believes that this is who you are. In the same way you believe that now you're graduated because they gave you that piece of paper and they, you had a little celebration. In the same way you feel like your life completely changed because you said, I do, in front uh, of your family, friends, and your God. So what Khodorovsky found out first, because of all his background as an artist, he made films, he made plays, and he had this theory about why actors go crazy, especially actors that do plays. And, and he would explain, given that our subconscious mind doesn't really distinguish between reality and what we're acting. If I'm an actor in a play, and in this play, I lose my wife, for example, uh, like she passes away in an accident. And I, and I do that role a hundred times. For my subconscious mind, I lost a hundred wives. And I will start portraying certain traits of mistrust and love and in relationships and in, and in connection to people and, 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 and expecting abandonment in many situations that you can't really explain through my beliefs from my childhood, but you can explain through the things that I've put my subconscious through. And what he thought is there must be a way to use universal symbolisms to actually support people into breaking through certain things that are holding them back from their subconscious mind. Uh, and they seem like the craziest group of things. Uh, they go from simple little things like peeing on something and how that represents you're losing respect, letting go, and acquiring your own leadership and power by, by releasing the, the energy and the importance from this object. How burning things seems like the most permanent way of destroying the existence of something, including the meaning of that object. Like all these little things. And then it can go as crazy as dressing up like... Um, well, actually, yeah, dressing up like yourself as a little kid and dressing someone else up as your mom or your dad, obviously not your mom or your dad, but like choosing someone from your life and even printing a picture of mom and, and using it as a mask for that person, getting their clothes, their perfume, so that the experience of your subconscious mind is that you're with them and then having them hold you or cradle you or in, at, in some instances, even like literally having sex with them to break the Oedipus complex or the Electra complex of 
like you're not the only way a man can be you're not the only way a woman can be and i'm i'm not i'm not your emotional provider i'm not supposed to be your spouse and if this is what you needed for for me to just break free from this let's do it and there's a whole beautiful ceremony that you do in the end and removing the clothes and the masks and realizing that of course you didn't have sex with your parents but this was the like the final straw of your subconscious mind realizing that this will never happen this is not okay and now you're free and even just talking about it sounds extremely confusing, but when you see people go through this, many of my coaches of the people that I, that I work with have chosen, when I offer this to them, have chosen psychomagic acts that I would never do myself, that, that I can't explain why they work so amazingly, but then a month later, they're achieving things that were absolutely impossible to them. Like, I actually have permission to share this, but um, I had a student once that, she had her Electra complex in a ridiculous level. Like that is Electra most- complex is just a, an inverted Oedipus complex where the daughter wants yes. to sleep with the father. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're based on the Greek on the Greek mythology and and there are stories of a woman in love with her father and a, and a guy in love with his mother uh, and it's the exact same thing, uh, just from women to their dad, and she had an Electra complex that was extremely rigid, but she's very powerful. She has created amazing things in her life, but she couldn't create a relationship. She couldn't create a partner, and when when I started like working with her, it was extremely obvious that it had a lot, a lot to do with the relationship with dad. I offered some literature from Alejandro Khodorovsky. We talked about the psychomagic act that she wanted to do, which was exactly this one. She did uh, in in a mind-blowingly committed, powerful, beautiful way with a person that she really uh, trusted and has a loving relationship with. And yeah, uh, ever since then, someone that hadn't been in a relationship for almost 20 years is about to get married. Uh, with with an amazing man and 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 she finally found a way to to be cared for by other people and appreciate ways of being that that didn't exist in her father but that she now values and it doesn't feel like a betrayal of the image of the father who overworked himself to get her through college and all of that so the freedom that people create through these types of things is is something that's hard to understand logically because you're working with a subconscious mind, but the results are undeniable. And this is why even people that believe that Alejandro Khodorovsky is the craziest human being in the world cannot deny why the guy is still so successful in Italy and France, especially in France, and, and why he has changed the lives of so many people. So when you told me we can we can bring whatever we want into this program. I was like, okay, we're using biotypes, we're using systemic psychology, and there's going to be a lot of coaching. We're going to give them the principles of psychology at the very beginning. They need to understand how their mind works. They need to understand how how like the basics of understanding themselves and their cognitive process uh, into choosing who they are and how they created their personalities there. And, and I was like, and I know what the ending will be. It has to be a psychomagic act. I've never had this because I know that if I bring this to a company that hires me or even my own company that I ran for 10 years, if I do this, like I'm going to be sued because this is crazy. Um, But the way that we built it makes people understand it and the freedom that we give them to choose whatever they, they want, because we don't tell people what to do. We just offer the information and guide them through. And People that seemed extremely weak are showing themselves in the most powerful way. Uh, we learned that people were autistic in ways that we didn't know was possible, even after spending six weeks with them. So, yeah, the results are undeniable, and Khodorovsky has, has supported a lot of people into regaining control in their lives. So yeah. here's the the parts that I'm going to slide in here and just uh, uh, say that 
within RGP development, all, all psychometric acts are completely optional and customizable yeah. by the person, and you're in complete autonomy of deciding which elements that you want to bring into your act. Um, and we always say to people, like, be safe about this. Don't put yourself in any danger, because if you watch the documentary, you'll see that some of these things involve, like, heavy objects or whatever. Uh, or if you're using yeah. fire, you know, make sure that you're doing this in a fire-safe place or in a fire-safe way. Um, and I'm going to issue that, you know, just... Uh, uh, not warning, but just kind of foresight or, or uh, perspective to everybody listening to this. If you're like, oh, I want to do a psychomagic act, please be smart about it. Please be safe about it. Please do your research and choose your own way of, of approaching this, uh, having heard everything that you've heard. I would just say, um, for anyone who's just hearing all this for the first time, I wouldn't recommend just jumping in. It's like, oh, I want to do a psychomagic. Yes, no, that's really good advice. I mean, the context of everything that I've learned from the previous five weeks doing this class was extremely necessary and put it all, it, it really was the perfect conclusion for everything, but I wouldn't have been able to do this or really even know what to do um, without that context and without everything that I'd uncovered. Yeah, don't yeah. just go out and like burn your dad's hat or something right now. Exactly. <laughs> don't, don't just do something ridiculous like that because it won't have any meaning. Like you actually need to understand the, the, the basic principles of how the human psyche works. Then working on yourself and taking certain risks into realizing what the true problem is. Because what you're telling yourself in your head and, and how you're victimizing yourself or telling yourself that the problem was what they did to you or something like that. That's not it. That That's why coaching and therapy are important because that's where you get to realize what the actual underlying condition is. And the ones you nail that down, everything in your life feels like it makes sense. And then we offer psychomagic just as a possibility of a solution. Now that you have so much information about yourself, I love how Reed explained it. Uh, um, one of our patrons is asking, could you mess yourself up without that context? I don't think you could mess yourself up, but you could add on to the problem instead of like helping it. Like it could become a, another pebble in the huge bag of stones that you're carrying like crazy because you created more and more evidence of feeling like a victim. And you can have no expectations about how you're going to feel in the end. You're, you're going to be absolutely surprised. Um, can I say one of my favorite psychomagic acts from the documentary that is really profound and wild? Yeah, and the documentary is called Psychomagic, an Art That Heals by Alejandro Jodorowsky. Uh, and that's what a great title because it is. It's more like like impressionistic art than it is like anything else, even in the documentary. What, what's yeah. your favorite one from the documentary? He, it's a woman who is like approaching middle age and he, you know, he interviews her before she does it. And she basically talks about how she's, she's always wanted to be a mother, but she's never been able to hold down a relationship with a guy. And she talks about how her own relationship to her own mother was so strained and she has no trust in relationships at all. And she just knows that she can't be intimate with people. And she, she's very aware that it has to do with her own mom. Um, so the psychomagic act he has her do and they film it. It's like in this loft. It's her and this two other people, these two senior citizens, they're all naked and they basically reenact the birthing process. Like this woman mm -hmm. is birthed from this old woman in this like kind of, or they put this like kind of, I think sheet on her or something and kind of push her through the birth canal and out. And then the, the couple cradles her. Then the woman like, 
actually like suckles from the old woman's breast. And then they like help her stand up and like learn to walk as if she was a baby. And she like walks like away from them. And basically they're creating a process in which she is like born and birthed and nurtured correctly. Um, and, um, and shown love as a baby and like, you know, all the things that she never got, they basically like create a ceremony where she gets them. And then it like cuts to like seven months later and she's like pregnant and she's like found the love of her life. And she's like, I forgave my mom immediately that day. I haven't even thought about her since. And it's like, (laughs) you you rewrite history in your subconscious. That's what's mind blowing about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. My favorite is less dramatic than that, but I think people go through this one maybe more often, which is the couple that is like, they're like, we don't know if we should stay together or break up. And then they, they go through therapy and they, they realize through therapy, they're like, okay, our relationship is done. And the psychomagic act is in the releasing of the relationship. And they both have these chains, these heavy chains tied around their ankles. And they're walking around this city dragging these heavy, heavy chains. And I don't know how long they walk for, but they walk for like, it it, it looks like a bit, like maybe a couple miles or whatever. They're walking together. And then they come to this like space in like a garden and they take off their chains and they bury their chains and then they part. And I'm like, wow, that is so cool to have like a process. Like imagine being able to go through a, a, a conscious breakup in that way of saying like, I'm letting go of these chains of the thing that is holding me back, of the thing of this relationship that feels like it's weighing me down. And maybe this is just because I'm a phlegmatic and, and no, moving on from relationships is like, like the hardest thing for me. Favorite. Yeah, I mean, like, that, I'm, because I go through that in my life. Like, I have a really hard time moving on from past relationships. It, it's like, my, my therapist said it in a way of like, yeah, like, you know, you decided to leave the lake, but I still have to swim out of this lake. And swimming out of the lake and like getting back to the shore sometimes takes months. Maybe your psychomagic act is we dump you in a lake. And I say, and, and I literally uh, you, swim out of the lake. <laughs> you're right, right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's get back to Reed real quick because... Because Reed's psychomagic act was mind Yes, and, and we had him on because we wanted to talk to him about this and the, the impact that it's had on his life and both from his perspective and from yours, Brian, who's now seen him for some time since this has happened. So if you want to hear what Reed's psychomagic act was, as well as the tangible results that it created in his life, head over to patreon.com slash RGP development to hear the full version of this episode. Want more biotypical? Well, good news. There's a longer version of this episode available at patreon.com slash RGP development. There you'll also be able to find ways to get on the podcast yourself, ask questions, as well as watch a live taping remotely. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast and subscribing. Remember to rate this five stars wherever you're listening to it, and we'll see you next time.